Welcome to the Amazon Hustle Podcast, hosted by six-figure Amazon seller and Amazon content creator, Lewis Moore III, aka LM3. Join Lewis every Friday to discuss all things related to running a successful Amazon business, including interviews from other successful six and seven-figure Amazon sellers. Subscribe to Lewis's YouTube channel to see the podcast in video format and to learn how to start selling on Amazon. Now, let's start this week's episode. But first, don't forget to like and share the podcast on your social media accounts. All right. So, David, can you kind of tell the people who you are and, um, and exactly what it is that you do? Yep. So, uh, my name's Dave. I basically, I sell on Amazon uh, full-time. So, I've been selling on there since 2016 and full-time since 2017. So I've been at it for a while now. Um, and currently I have a warehouse with a couple employees as well as a team of virtual assistants and they help me with the sourcing. So finding the products, then we ship the products to my warehouse, prep the products and send them into Amazon FBA. And that's basically the business model. Right now, we're doing a combination of online arbitrage and wholesale. Mm -hmm. So um, we pretty much are buying everything online now. Uh, we still do a little bit of retail arbitrage from time to time, but um, it's mostly all virtual and then other than shipping the products. Right. Okay. So what got you started in selling Amazon was, um, was selling on Amazon your first way of being a reseller or did you like get like started with eBay? Um, pretty much started with Amazon. I had sold on eBay before then it was really just to get rid of some of my old stuff, but I like serious selling. Um, it was basically just starting on Amazon and I was really just, um, looking for ways to make extra money. Mm -hmm. Um, I, when I started, selling i was in the disney college program which is oh, basically nice. like an internship where you make minimum wage so i was just trying to make some extra money on the side started it part-time and then by the time my program ended i was making more from amazon actually so i just decided to try it out full-time and i've been doing that ever since okay my question is um so you were working at disney and you were doing mm -hmm. like, and you were making minimum wage there and you were doing Amazon on, and you were doing Amazon on, on the side, but at some point you started to make more at Amazon than you were doing, um, making, doing your regular job at Disney. So did you have like, when that happened, were you like, all right, now I'm going to go full time or did it just kind of sneak up on you? Were you like able to prepare for that or did it just kind of happen? It kind of snuck up on me, honestly. I, I didn't plan on really doing it full time. And after my program ended, I applied for some jobs, but I didn't really get anything. At first I was kind of just like, I'm just going to try this for a few months. And I didn't know if it was going to work out or not, right. but um, yeah, it, it kind of just fell into place and not really, I didn't really expect it to be honest. Okay. Um, when you decided to go full time, because in the beginning you said that you have a warehouse and you have a couple, a couple of physical employees and a team of virtual assistants. When you went full time, were you doing it solo or did you already have some employees or virtual um, assistants helping? No, I was doing it solo for the first, uh, probably like two years. And okay. then I, I got like a part-time employee 
um, like a couple years in just to help with the prep. Mm -hmm. But that was like before I had a warehouse even. So they would like come over to my apartment and help me prep stuff. Okay. But I, yeah, I like, I like keeping it small for as right. long as I can. So you don't want to tie yourself down to these big expenses before you know you have like the revenue to support it. So at what point would a person know if they're ready to like, if they're ready or if they need to hire an um, employee? It, yeah, eventually it gets to a point where when you get good at product sourcing, you're, you end up buying a lot more stuff and churning mm -hmm. your money. And then you end up spending more time on the prep than the actual sourcing. So I would say at that point, it's a good time to evaluate um, should I hire someone to do prep? Because you want to you wanna outsource the easier tasks first. So if you're valuing, you want to value your time highly. Right. So if you're valuing your time at $100 an hour, you could pay someone 10 bucks an hour or depending on what the minimum wage is where you are or 15 bucks an hour to do prep. Um, then it's probably a good idea because if you can make more than 15 bucks an hour sourcing, like then it's a no brainer to just have someone uh, do the prep for you. Okay. That makes sense. Was it when you're like going from working for somebody else, Disney working there to becoming your own boss, was it something that you had to get used to or did you just kind of fall into it and, it, and like it made sense or like, how was that change? Um, it wasn't too bad. Cause I, I feel like I'm pretty, uh, like self-motivated to mm -hmm. do stuff on my own. And, um, I've always kind of been good at that, whether it was like school or, um, I used to actually play drums. I was in like different drum lines. And for that, you have to like practice a lot on your own. So, um, that kind of just, uh, that kind of taught me the work ethic of like, yeah building, making a plan and then, uh, like working your plan. So, um, I I've always been pretty good with that. And then business is kind of the same thing when, especially if you're an entrepreneur, you got to like figure out what needs to be done and then execute on your plan. Basically. When you hired your first employee, was it hard to train them to do what you wanted them to do? Or did like, how did you go about doing that? Did you like type up something or did you have to keep showing them over and over? How was that? Uh, no, because prep is pretty easy. It's pretty easy to teach someone how to put something in a poly bag and then <laughs> put a sticker on it. Okay. So okay. if I was teaching sourcing, it would be a lot more difficult and complex, but right. um, for that, it's pretty easy. Okay. With, um, with your VAs, you have them doing sourcing. So do you have like do you like just have like a, did you just shoot like a, a video and then you just give it to the VA or like, how do you train your VAs? Um, yeah, that's pretty much what we do is I'll do uh, a combination of videos and Google docs. That's just like a process. So I'll write like a paragraph, take a screenshot of something and then write another uh, few sentences and they'll just go through that process. Uh, but the big thing with VAs is honestly giving them feedback uh, because you can make all kinds of videos, but eventually they're going to do the work and something's not going to be um, what you want. So you right. might overlook some. So usually for the first couple of weeks when I hire new VAs is I'll just check all of their leads and then 
write like a sentence of a sentence or two next mm -hmm. to each lead of why it's a good or bad lead. And then they can adjust from there. Can you give me a couple of tips? Like if I wanted to hire a VA, is there something that I should look out for? Because I know that you can get VAs really, really cheap. If you go to places like the Philippines or places like that, do you like look for those type or do you look for the more expensive that maybe are in the States and like, like, what do you think the process is to find a good VA? So we use uh, onlinejobs.ph. Okay. And we, we have like all the training done ourselves, which takes a very long time. But like, once you have the trainings already made, it's pretty easy to hire new VAs because I have all that data saved. Mm -hmm. um, but we look for VAs that don't really have experience so we can teach them how we do things. But I've heard of other sellers like finding VAs that have experience um, with Amazon sourcing already. And that could be a good option if you don't want to make any of the training. Right. You're you're the you're the second person that I interviewed that told me that they would much rather have a VA who has no idea how to source for Amazon than one who actually has um experience because they can teach them the way that they source and the way yeah. that they want to find. What made you focus on online arbitrage instead of retail arbitrage or um private labeling? Like what is it about online arbitrage that works with your business model? Well, we did do um, a lot of retail arbitrage for many years. Um, and it's basically the same thing as online arbitrage, um, just going into physical stores. Right. Um, when it comes to private label, uh, basically, I just feel like for my own skill set, I'm not someone that's super interested in doing like marketing Mm. and doing a product launch and stuff mm. like that. Like, I feel like I'm not super creative. So it's just kind of your own self-awareness of what your strengths and weaknesses are. Mm -hmm. And I just, honestly, I enjoy finding products that I can buy for cheap and then sell for more. Right. Okay. So if I were to say I wanted to start selling on Amazon and I was looking and I was thinking about doing online arbitrage, what kind of advice or tips would you give to me as a new seller? Uh, just basically find, don't, don't buy too much of one product. Like, okay. and don't overthink, like you got to find this amazing, amazingly ranked product with a hundred percent ROI because there's not a lot of those products out there. Just, I would test out like, two or three units of maybe 10 different products mm -hmm. and set your budget and just stick to that. And then off of that initial buy, you're going to learn a lot about what types of ranks actually do sell quickly. Mm -hmm. So my advice would be to just go wide rather than go deep on what products you're buying. Right. Um, what software would I need or what software would you recommend for me to start off doing online arbitrage? Uh, just Keepa. That's the only one that you definitely need, uh, which gives you the price history for each product. Okay. So you don't use any of these other, um, I'm not going to say any of their names, but any of these other, what would you call them? Like, um, 
softwares that help you source like when you go to the website it'll show you like the sales rank and how much roi you can expect and how many are in stock you don't use any of any of those no we use them uh but i was just saying as a as like a beginner yeah if you okay. if you have a limited budget i would just start with keepa and then you could maybe get um like a profit calculator like that um mm -hmm. so some of them are rev seller seller amp um mm -hmm. az insight Right. So they're they're all pretty comparable, but those those tools, they're like all around 150 for a year. So not that expensive. So if you've got 500 to a thousand dollars to start with, maybe you want to grab one of those right away. Mm -hmm. uh, but outside of that, I wouldn't start with anything. And then as you start growing more, you could add a tool like tactical arbitrage, but I think that that is probably too much for a beginner because that has a pretty big learning curve. You're better off just learning how to do manual sourcing before adding in something like right. uh, tactical arbitrage. That was, that was going to be my next question. When you said, if you have 500 to like a thousand, then maybe you could just jump out. How much money, like, what do you think is the bare minimum a person could start with and actually build something doing online arbitrage? Um, Probably, I mean, you could really start with like 50 bucks and just buy like two or three products that are mm -hmm. cheaper on the cheaper end. Right. So, but yeah, what do you, but what do you think would be, what do you think would be ideal? Um, I think $500 honestly is a good starting point. That's about what we started with. Um, and just, that gives you enough to like test out a few different things, but mm -hmm. not put too much in right away where you're kind of putting some money on the line before right. you really learn what you're doing. Where you're at now. Cause you've been selling for about what, almost six years now or six yeah. years. So where do you see yourself in 10 years? Uh, man, honestly, I don't know. I don't think, I don't really think that far ahead. Okay. Um, but I basically, I just want to keep working for myself. That's like my main goal. Like mm -hmm. I really enjoy the freedom of it, of my schedule and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So I'm not into really buying a lot of like fancy cars or watches or stuff like that. Like I really just like the time freedom. So I've taken a lot of the money I've made with Amazon and I've mm -hmm. invested it into other things like right now. Um, I purchased a property a couple years ago that I have okay. on Airbnb. So oh, that's nice. like making me some passive income. And then I have some other investments. So I'm just trying to build stuff outside of Amazon as mm -hmm. well and continue doing that. So that way, if one business ever fails, I still have other stuff that I can do without like me having to go get a nine to five job basically right. what is your schedule schedule like like on a let's say like on a Wednesday what kind of like how how was your schedule when do you wake up what do you do that type of thing I usually wake up around like seven o'clock and then okay. I'll usually um, do some kind of exercise in the mornings like I'll either go for a run or go to the gym and then after that, I'll have some breakfast and um, like yesterday, for example, 
Uh, I worked on my repricer a bit. So mm -hmm. repricing my items for Amazon. And then I'll do some OA sourcing. So I'll look at a lot of the leads that my VAs send me. And then after that, I'll do some wholesale sourcing, which is um, either looking for new accounts or looking at the products from the accounts we already have. Okay. And then, and then there's a lot of other miscellaneous stuff that comes up throughout the day, like emails and things like that. I am slowly moving from doing like I usually do retail arbitrage, but I'm slowly moving. Well, first off, I'm in I am in Germany and I'm sure I like to say that online arbitrage is different than in the States, but it probably is the same. I just don't have the patience to look at the websites and try to figure out what sells and what doesn't sell. That's kind of why I like our um, retail arbitrage, but I'm slowly mm -hmm. moving into wholesale. I just set up my first uh, account with a toy um, distributor yesterday or a, a toy hose wholesaler. And I want to ask when you're looking at their products, like what are you looking for? Is it the exact same thing as when you're doing online arbitrage or retail arbitrage, or do you do test buys first? Or like, how did, like, how do you go about that? If you find a new product with a um, wholesaler? Yeah, it's pretty similar. Um, the bigger, the big thing with wholesale is you can usually buy higher quantities. Right. So sometimes I'll be willing to take a lower return on investment on a wholesale product. Cause I, if I know I could sell like 500 units, for example, mm -hmm. then that's a lot easier to do with wholesale. Like a lot of times I'll find OA products that I could sell 500 a month, but the website will only let me buy five. So yeah, that's not really right. my time. <laughs> yeah. Um, when you say if like you will buy, it, if it has a lower return, can you give me like an example? Like, what do you think is a, is like a normal expert expectation on a OAROI? 30%, 30, 35, 20, like. Um, we'll go as low as 10%, but okay. it kind of depends like, for example, if a product is like super light and easy to prep, like all we have to do is throw a sticker on it, then, mm -hmm. and it sells hundreds of times, then 10% ROI is good for us. But if it's like a glass product that could break and I got to buy like extra bubble wrap and stuff mm -hmm. like that, and it's heavy to ship in the FBA, mm -hmm. then we got to get a much better return on that to make it worth our time. You said that if the item could sell a hundred times, is it just sales rank or how, or like, how do you know, or how do you um, anticipate how many times an item will sell if you're sourcing it? Uh, it's just mostly from experience with looking at a lot of Keepa charts. Um, so sales rank is one indication. Another is you can look at the review count. And if the review count has gone up let's say a hundred reviews in the last month, then that product is probably selling over a thousand times a month because I think it's usually around one less than every 5%. Hundred. Yeah. Yeah. It might even be one or 2% mm -hmm. of people leave reviews. So uh, no. you can look at that. And um, we also look at the competition as well. So if there's 10 people that have, um, the buy box price or within a few pennies of it, mm -hmm. then you have to consider, okay, if there's 10 other people selling this product, then that might cut my sales, uh, quite a bit. Cause we'll right. get 
a smaller buy box percentage. Right. Um, when you are looking at a product and you see other Amazon FBA sellers are selling that product, do you have a number that you're like, okay, that's too many sellers. I don't even want to sell it. Or do you just go off of profits or like, how do you determine that? Um, it's, it's different for each listing. So mm-hmm. obviously if a product sells 10 times a month and there's 10 sellers <laughs> that have a good price, then right. probably wouldn't sell that. But mm-hmm. if it's got a thousand sales a month and there's 10 sellers, we'll definitely do it. And a lot of times with Amazon's buy box algorithm, if you keep that product in stock more than other sellers do, they'll give you a better percentage of the buy box. So even if there's 10 competitive offers, if you have 500 in stock and the other seller has one or two in stock, they're going to give you a way better buy box percentage than those other sellers. Okay. That's good to know. Okay. This is the, um, the question that I like to ask every person who comes onto my podcast is, do you feel that anybody can start selling on Amazon FBA and become a full-time seller, quit their nine to five and actually make an, enough money to, su- su- to support themselves and their, their family and kind of get out of the whole nine to five type of job? Uh, yes, but I think you have to have the right mindset for it. So uh, you might get this as well. Like a lot of people, ask me really dumb questions (laughs) and and they're like, so um, should I just sign up for a seller account? And it's like, if you can't figure out how to sign up for a seller account on your own, like you're probably not meant to do this. And like, that's okay. Like Amazon isn't for everyone, but Mm -hmm. if you're someone that like can make a plan and like figure out stuff on your own and you're like motivated to have your own business, then I definitely think that anyone can do this. Cause I mean, I started with like, like I said, around 500 bucks, which it it can be a lot of money for some people, but you could really get started with nothing. Like if you go Craigslist free, find something, flip it on Facebook marketplace, that gives you a little bit of money to get started with Amazon. So it's definitely the opportunities there, but you just have to have the right mindset. I agree with you. And there's two things I wanted to talk about. The first thing is when you said that if a person can't even figure out the small things, then maybe this isn't for them. And as a um, YouTuber, as an Amazon YouTuber, of course, I get a lot of questions from people who want to start on Amazon. And the way I I kind of filter these people out into two different groups. I get the first group of people saying stuff like you said, like, how do I sign up for a um, seller's account or what is Amazon FBA or how does Amazon FBA work out works. Those are like, I think those are basic, basic questions that you should know the answer to before you even approach somebody for things. So if somebody sends me something like a question like that, I'll just send them a link to one of my videos and that's pretty much it. But then I'll have people who, who ask me other questions, like how do I, like what's up? I don't know, just more intense questions that actually make sense. And those are the people that I will kind of give my time to and actually give real answers to i get people also like i also like i started with like 300 dollars. that's what i started with and i was selling used books and i took i had a hundred dollars for the um software that i needed to scan 
and then to pay for my first month of um the sellers the um sellers account then i took the other 200 and i bought like four 400 books and then i sold those and then bought like 600 then sold those and then i started doing gaylords of books but um other people come and say can i start selling amazon with fifty dollars or a hundred dollars and i kind of think different than like a lot of people i think if all you have to do if all you have to invest into your business is like a hundred dollars or like fifty dollars then maybe it's not the right time for you to actually start doing that business if you have a job maybe you should get a second job and save for like a, a couple like a couple of months or maybe think about yeah. some of the things you can cut out maybe your starbucks or your cigarettes or your fast food to where you can save because if you're not even willing like if you're not willing to give up your starbucks to save an extra fifty dollars a month for a couple of months then i don't really think that you really want to start your own business and you won't be that good at it so that's kind of how i feel about it but um where can the people yeah, find I, you at sorry you can um answer i was just gonna say that i i agree with that and i think i think your answer to that is better than mine like if you have 50 bucks you probably shouldn't start and there's probably other things you could do like you said to mm -hmm. build up a little bit of starting capital mm -hmm. so that when you do start it's that much easier to wear 50 bucks is a little bit tight now that I think about it. Um, yeah, yeah, because I mean, let's be honest, because if you let's say a person starts with like $70, they're going to take that $70 and then they're going to flip it. And we all know that like you're not going to buy, let's say they buy 10 products. You're not going to sell those 10 products in your first two weeks, maybe. So maybe you'll get $80 on, on, on your investment or like it's going to move so slow. To where it's yeah. really not worth it but if you have like 300 to 500 like you said then i think you can really start doing some things and even if you don't sell out your whole thing then at least you have another 200 you can re reinvest and then another 300 so you can keep going yeah that's true yeah you could I, even just like have a yard sale or something yeah, exactly exactly capital exactly where can the people connect with you at um so right now basically just on instagram which is at oa deals 